1: Score North and scorenorth.com. Purple Daily presented by Surly Brewing Company
2: I think I'm I'm pretty sure this is Royce's the legendary Patrick Roycey Star Tribune columnist I think this might be your Purple Daily debut since we switched to the YouTube
1: format I believe like it days. is Yes I can't remember being on Purple Daily I you know I don't have any uh, I don't have any great insights since I get out to Egan about twice a year so that's a <laughs> you know, that's about, that's about it. So I, I don't blame him for going elsewhere for your Viking uh, insights. Well, I
2: mean, we, uh, well, you are a YouTube star on your own, uh, over mm-hmm. on your Unchained now, but we figured, uh, so I, I was, I was born a year after actually I was born maybe the last year of, of was 85 the last year, Bud Grant coach, he well, came, back came back,
1: after- he, he left in 83 and, uh, then Les speckle Got him a very good contract in, uh, to come back in 85, and he only went one year. Uh, do you want to go through that whole thing? Uh, 83, uh, the Gophers are looking for a new football coach, and they bring in Lou Holtz. And uh, the, and then Bud kind of out of nowhere resigns uh, to tell Sid. Sid was flying out to Hawaii to tell Max Winter along with Mike Lynn that uh, Sid was quitting. Sid got off in the plane in L.A., and uh so he could have the scoop back here that bud was retiring but it came out of nowhere in 83 and then the gophers hired lou holtz or they had hired lou holtz and lou comes in phil and creates this phenomenon it's unbelievable the way people respond to this guy we love bsers man and he's you know as good a BSer as fleck is this guy's better he's more sophisticated and uh you know he's he just he he was unbelievable, and then Les Deckel goes three and thirteen, and Lynn was in a complete panic because the Gophers were going to take over the town. You know, they had uh, they only went four and seven Holtz's first year, but they had fifty eight thousand in there a few times, and Lou was we had Lou Holtz look alike contest, and everybody was <laughs> all in on Lou. So he called up Bud and wanted to bring Bud back, and Bud genius that he was uh you know we we thought he was coming back for two three years maybe he only came back for one he got a con- ironclad contract that was lifetime for the vikings and he looked ahead of it it included free gas he uh, the, the new contract included free gas because they had that pump down there at Winter Park. Like like, gonna,
2: like forever? Forever?
1: Well, as long as they had the pump. I don't think they had to put us... I think they got rid of the pump because of Bud because <laughs> he was he was gassing up all the kids' cars and everybody else. Wait, Bud, Bud had a-, a Bobby
2: Bonilla contract before so, Bobby Bonilla.
1: <laughs> you know, Bud lived like a mile from the Winter Park, you know, right over there at Anderson Lakes. So he... T- You'd be out. There. We used to watch practice and you could go down and stand there and watch practice. It was not the, you know, the, you know, the Nazi regime that it is now and uh, where you could, you know, you couldn't uh, go here and there. You just went down to watch practice and you'd see Bud pull up to the pump and his car and. Then an hour later, he'd pull up to the pump in another car and, you know, one of the kids' cars. <laughs> the whole kids, you know. Some neighbors, had, some neighbors. And like, oh, kids were, up. The kids were all getting old enough to drive that and they were getting their gas there too. So, But the, my favorite part of the contract was uh, he had in there, he would have an office with a window. And mm. there, you remember this, Judd, when Hedrick tried to move him inside, Roger Hedrick about the night they were gonna redo the offices, and Roger was running it and he was gonna put Bud in an interior office. Bud went home, got the contract, and brought it back, and said, office with window. <laughs> it says right here. So, yeah. so he, he wanted to be able to look out and see what was if there was any deer walking across the field or something. So I mean, he was uh, he was always ahead of the game on stuff like that. He was he thought of everything. To benefit himself, and he still had a nice office out at out at the new place as part of that contract. So I'm not sure how often he got out there to use it. I think I think O'Connell was saying that he'd be out there once a week for lunch or something. I'm not sure if he got out there that often, but uh, anyway, it was uh, yeah. He they brought him back in '85, and he only coached one year. So. And I think they were only six and ten that year, right? Right, Jud, something like that.
0: Yeah, they, they got up to a two a two and zero start, and we all thought Bud's back and it's going to be great. And yeah, yeah. I think they won. Six yeah, they had games. bad. Deal. Yeah,
1: they had. Uh, well, you know, before he quit, those were years when they won a couple of division titles, but they were eight, seven, and one, and nine and seven. I mean, the division stunk, and they 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 were just they didn't just, they didn't stink quite as much as everybody else did. Was uh, they they. After I know that uh, Stewie Boy always told me that the, by 76, what was the fourth Super Bowl with Oakland, that they were not, they were declining; they were in decline then. And, you know, and they, and then they won the Mud Bowl in 77, which, uh, you know, kind of put off the inevitable. But, uh, you know, by the late 70s, they were. They were running on fumes and then came the page feud and all that other stuff so yeah his last few years were fairly mediocre but he certainly certainly was going to be an improvement on Les down <laughs> which was as wong wrote one of the most tasteless lines ever as the beat guy Les, you know was an officer in uh vietnam and he said Wes always tells us how many men he took into combat. We want to know how many brought back or something like that. It (laughs) was something like that. I mean, it was, it was, boy, the wheels went off that thing in a hurry. So anyway, that's, that was it though. But just he coached that you know it seemed like he was here longer but he coached 17 years and then came back for one so
2: he was here 18 seasons so. yeah he is and just like everything about him his and again I I didn't get to live through his his actual coaching career but his stoicism he he was if if there was a a, a picture of Minnesota personified it would be bud stoicism bud 10 years yes. ago walking out for the coin flip in a t-shirt oh, yeah. when it's minus 30
1: yeah. Um, uh, j- by the way, uh, Bobby Hagan and his, uh, I think his speech is over by now, isn't it? God, I think the end of the year, but uh, just recently. <laughs> I missed
0: it. Sorry. Uh,
1: <laughs> sorry too early three days ago, but uh, it was long. But he said that that was, Bud said to him that they wanted, they told him like on the previous Sunday, they wanted him to come out for the coin toss. And, and he said, okay, what I'll do is walk out there in my jacket, and then I'll take the jacket off in the cold. And Bob Hagen said, well, he, and he said, when Bud said this, it was like 50 degrees that day, 40 degrees. And and Bob said, Bud, the forecast says it's going to be 25 below windchill that day and Sunday. And the original plan was Bud was going to walk out there with a jacket and then take it off in the short sleeves. But the, the idea was Bud's. But then Bud said, the hell with it, and just walked out there in shirt sleeves. And Bud said, Hagen told Bud, your body can withstand anything for 10 minutes. So that's <laughs> what he, so he figured he'd get out there back. He was and, he uh, was like
2: 85 years old when he was, he was definitely in his mid 80s, right? Yeah, 10 years ago.
1: Yeah, well, what, what season was it? 2013
2: or 15. 13. So he was he was pushing
1: 80 eight years, years old. So, About you know, 85. Eighty-five, yeah, eighty-five or eighty-six. But uh, he, uh, you know, one of the last times I talked to him, the last year or so. Actually, at O'Connell's, it wasn't. I mean, I've talked to him since then. But at O'Connell's introduction, he was there. They brought him in, and then I. uh, Then he said, "I want to talk to you." So I sat down and talked to him for forty minutes after it was over. And in in that man, he says, "My mind is okay." I got hearing aids, but they are, man, and my vision's okay, but he said my skeleton is letting me down was what he what he told me then. So uh, uh, although he, they still got him out, uh, I know Mike uh, got him out in the deer stand. Uh, you know, they, they had it all set up so the deer stand, it was easier to get, it, but they had him up in the Northwoods uh, deer hunting uh, this November so.
0: So he he was at the um he, he was part of the speaking group at, at the anniversary that they did at uh, the Mall of America for the Rashad Miracle Catch Pat. And oh, it yeah. was and it was Ahmad, it, Tommy Kramer, and Bud. And this is December. And the remarkable thing was for his age, his memory was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and he was still incredibly articulate. Like you would have never guessed that this man w- was in his nineties, and other than, uh, than his know, skeleton, had, like you said,
1: I had some long conversations with him, and he's like all of us. Uh, you know, I'm I'm this way at seventy-seven. Where you there's that tick, you know, where you're trying to remember what you were <laughs> going to say or something like that. He had a few of those moments, but he remembers. You know, he just pauses for a little bit, but uh, yeah, he was. Uh, uh, I mean, incredible. I mean, here, I think we all joked about this yesterday, if, if you can joke. is We were surprised that Sid died at 100. It's the only time in history anybody's been surprised that somebody died at 100. And you're surprised that Bud died at 95. I, you know, Mike uh, showed up at the Hagen event because Bud wasn't feeling well. But Mike, uh, his son, uh, said, ah, I think he's, you know, he's, he's not doing great but he's uh but he's i think he's fine he'll get over this he's you know he's he's had lower moments and he's fine they, and so i i was i was shocked as you can be about a 95 year old dying when i heard it yesterday morning but uh you know he was he wasn't able to show up for the Hagen event as he had planned to so uh you know i guess i don't know he just uh he's he's yeah, he, he's a one of the most unique human beings I've ever met in my life. I mean, it's just—did you? One of the stories Hagen told, and and, and tells you everything about him. Uh, he was having one of his garage sales, right? And Channel Nine sent out some twenty-three-year-old kid who didn't even know who Bud Grant was to do a, you know, story like at a reporter, <laughs> and he says, "So, Coach Grant." How much money did you make on the garage sale last year? Grant looks at him and says, five seconds. He says, what are you from the IRS? (laughs) 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 And and then he didn't say a word for 15 seconds. He didn't, you know, he didn't expand on that. And then the guy finally decided he had to change the topic. There is no way that Bud... Is going to tell you how much he made because you know damn well he didn't pay taxes on it. So, oh, it's uh, you know, we we all talk about what a wonderful guy he was, and he more than wonderful, he was unique. He was unique because he never paid retail for anything in his whole life, and every. He basically had a coach on his staff. He only had five or six coaches, and one of them, Buzz Birdies, was in charge of bargains. None of those guys ever paid retail for a refrigerator in <laughs> their life. The whole coach. The,
2: the, the garage sale thing. Can you could yes. you imagine? So Bud Grant was one of the three or five you know figurehead coaches of the NFL for twenty years, right? Could you imagine like in 15, 20 years, Andy Reid or Bill Belichick just Sitting outside on a lawn chair, the, <laughs> the garage door open, Patriots memorabilia for sale strewn about the lawn. Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, And then about, I think they were running out of, it was running out of his novelty or uh, maybe they had less material than that. But about four or five years ago, the four or five of the last ones, he started charging for autographs. They yeah. started charging like, I think, 25 bucks. For autographs, and some woman sent me an email, well, this is a year ago maybe, about a, how she comes up and gives her this. He gives him gives him this. Oh, my mother, she's you know she's got cancer and she's near death and she's she loves you. She just loves you. Could I get her autograph and budget? Sure, and he says that'll be twenty five dollars. I believe it. Someone, someone,
2: someone got to all those guys. You know, Carl Eller is doing the purple people. Every picture of Carl Eller now is like purple people eaters swag. Get your purple people eaters swag at purplepeopleeaters dot com.
1: You know they we all think of modern times and how these guys retire with piles of money. I, I wonder what's the most Carl ever made. Ever made.
2: Yeah. Oh, 100, did
1: he, did he 100, ever make a billion? No. A oh, hundred, not, not even close, not even, right? Yeah, a couple hundred thousand, maybe. And probably tops. You know, that, that doesn't last forever. But uh, he was, uh, yeah, I mean, Bud is, uh, I, I actually, you know, I was base uh, high school writer, baseball writer till, through 78. So all I would do for the Vikings it was uh, visiting locker rooms. And I wrote one column a week uh, that was general interest, so I'd go out there once in a while. But I didn't really deal with him a whole lot. Uh, and, uh, but the worship with which he was covered, it was like a, a daily contest between Sid and Clovershire, who was yeah. then at the Star, he was at St. Paul briefly, then at the Star, to see who could fawn over Tar- Grant and Tarkington the most. I mean, it was, and you know me, I'm a, believe it or not, occasionally contrary. So I love oh. to, uh, you know, I started calling him Horseshoe Harry and uh, and having fun with him, and uh, tried tried to put a little of reverence into the coverage of Bud and uh, he. Even if he noticed it, he wouldn't have said anything. Yeah. He wouldn't give you the benefit of letting you know. You know the one guy that drove him crazy though? Uh like TK, Jeff Linehan drove him nuts. You know, he couldn't TK was would, <laughs> you know, ignore everybody, but <laughs> Linehan, he hated him. And the Star Tribune had a guy named Charlie McKenna. Remember if you that was before your time, probably. But Charlie was like a War protester guy with long hair and irreverent and kind of like Thomas, and he'd ask anything, you know, and and so they would do the post game press conferences and and you know the questions were always yeah you, know, you know Bud you know no nobody really challenged him or anything but Charlie got on his nerves that was and it was hard to get on Bud's nerves even if you got on his nerves. He wasn't gonna let you know it because it was then. Then you win, right? <laughs> then you win,
0: right? Because it's obvious. And
1: and uh, but Charlie, for some reason, he hated Charlie McKenna. So that was had to be mid seventies, maybe. Probably. I'm not sure. Yeah, late seventies, yeah. maybe.
0: So so Pat, um, on Bud too. I, I think the thing that that people, for the most part, don't know is now is his. Athletic abilities. What three sport oh, athlete him. at the like like that's the, the one the, thing the thing that
2: Lakers put lost. out a tribute to him yesterday. Yes, yes, so yes. to think about it.
1: Played for the Eagles, yeah, he played was, for the he, Lakers. He was now Sid was one of the executives and Sid and Max Winter were the executives with the Lakers. And they they basically had Mike and Pollard, Doogie Martin, uh Mickelson, right? And then they surrounded the rest of them with. They put gophers and local guys, guys from Hamlin as the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth men, you know, and Bud was one of those guys. Bud was a huge admirer of George Micah, though, because uh, he got to see how much he went through to, uh, you know, George had tried to play in a playoff game with a broken leg and stuff like that. So he was a huge admirer of uh, of him, and I, I think he only played, what, a couple of years with the yeah, Lakers. A he was on the 50 team. He was on the 50 championship team. I think he he got that ring uh in fact mike grant was trying to find out if he was the oldest last year he was the oldest laker from a championship team if bud was the oldest survivor but this guy from utah you know a good mormon from utah arnie Farron still alive and I said, you can't outlive a Mormon man. Those guys <laughs> live to be hundred and six. <laughs> the guy gets elected to the leader of the church at ninety-two, you know. So uh Arnie, I don't know if Arnie's still alive, but I think Bud uh, I think he I think he outlasted
2: Bud He was time. uh he was a, a four-time Canadian Football League Grey yeah. Cup champion coach before it that was late fifties. What made him uh what made him such a great coach, Pat?
1: Uh he always uh well one thing he before it was fashionable he didn't practice the hell out of him. you know he did not practice load the hell management out of he was
2: he yeah. was the godfather of load management
1: mm-hmm. now you could do something to uh irritate him and uh then then you would you know, i don't know if you get cut but you would get you know kind of phased out you could you, you you i think you had to really be a jerk to irritate him if you were a good player <laughs> you know if you were a good player he had uh high tolerance i mean the whole durability you know who sent out a a tribute to him like yesterday cat yeah i got news for you cat but grant would have hated you <laughs> The fact that you missed three months with a sore calf bud would, have, bud would have cut you two months ago, okay, cat? You are the anti-bud because the bud, it was plain. Durability is more important than it, but sometimes it was durability is as important as ability, Or but it was Durability, uh, sometimes he would say, is more important than ability. Look at those teams. Now, you got to remember that they had like 40 player rosters, built back yeah. then, 40 maybe early, low 40s. He he would start, it was a big deal when there was a new starter, especially on Dave. Dave I mean, it was, oh, oh man, they got to, you know, Matt Blair, they've drafted him. Maybe in two years he can be a linebacker for this yeah. team. You know, it was, uh, it was the, the same guys played all the time. And uh, and the other thing is you can look at their defense. You can look at Paul Krause, right? He loved Paul Krause, even yeah. though I always tell Paul Krause he had more interceptions than tackles. You know, Bud just didn't want <laughs> him to let anybody get behind him. Uh, he didn't care if he ever came up and hit anybody in his life as safety. But you look at the cornerbacks there: Jeff Wright, Bobby Bryant, Nate Wright. Not, not great athletes, but they didn't let guys get behind them for big plays too often. And uh, he was like, not a Tampa two or anything like that, because they always had the pass rush and stuff. But uh, it, defensively, don't make mistakes. You know, don't make mistakes. Don't make big screw ups. And and if you could do that, he was a lot like Belichick. You know, you can. You can play for me three years past your prime, you know, if you don't make mistakes. That, that was one thing. I think he had a great eye for the talent he wanted. You know what I mean? Was uh, he, he had a, he had a great eye for those guys? And uh, I'm wondering, they all say they knew where they stood with him, but you know, when they get when somebody was done, he would call them in and tell them they were done. You know, it, 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 he'd always give you a couple extra years, but, but when bud, bud calls you in and very few of them, I mean, Carl Eller went out and played in Seattle for a year, but very few of them played after, after bud told them they were done. They were, that's pretty much was it for most of them. Uh, I, I don't know. He was he, the one great feud he had was Alan page. You know, that was, uh, that got ugly. They, uh, too strong hard-headed guys and bud got mad at him because he became a runner and got down to 225 pounds and bud didn't think he could play anymore and and cut him and uh you know i saw that uh thomason got a hold of alan i almost called alan yesterday and didn't bother but uh but a very lukewarm uh very lukewarm tribute for by alan wow, so Bobby. even to even and to this day. day i don't know i I've, I've told this story phil that uh I happened to be at Winter Park when uh, Paige was not not Winter Park, Mankato. when Paige was uh, uh, retired and, and finishing up law school and, uh, and was working for Ed Garvey, working with Ed Garvey with the Union, and the union was making their visit to Mankato. and uh, they were coming down. Garvey, who I loved, was a great guy, funnier now. But uh <laughs> very ineffective but, but as a union leader, but funnier now, and Paige was walking with him, and Bud happened to be coming out of Gage hall at the time they were coming down about four in the afternoon, and they looked at each other. I don't think they'd been in each other's company uh since since the falling out and uh. And Bud looked and said, "Oh, look who we got here!" Bud said, and they shook hands. And it was it was a ninety degree day, and the temperature was about fifteen degrees when those two guys shook hands. And it had not, but it never got patched up. So I don't think, to my knowledge,
0: was that the o- only guy that, that he had a feud with? Because uh, it, it seemed he and
1: Tarkington were were, um, were oh, yeah. good, right? Oh, yeah. Tarkington throw 30 interceptions and he would, you know, shake it off. Yeah. Yeah. He and Tarkington were. uh, Yeah. They all liked him because he did not. I don't think he had great demands on personal behavior. (laughs) He didn't have great demands on, you know, just play, be ready to play. He had great demands on being ready to play would be uh, what what I would say about him. But, uh, you know, if you were having the Saturday walkthrough, for instance, at Winter Park, and it was going to scheduled for an hour and a half, and Bud looked up at the sky and saw ducks flying down towards the Mississippi, Minnesota River, he might just knock it off right then and go down and shoot some ducks. So he was, uh, he was, he spent half his time looking up at the with at the sky in the fall to see if anything was flying or not. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the one of the great stories we this one doesn't get any pub, but I love it. It's my favorite story ever. He was up in Canada, and this was seventy, what, early seventies probably. Finks was still here, whenever that was, and uh, he went to Canada, and he was with some bush pilot shooting wolves out of airplane. They were chasing packs of wolves and bud was shooting wolves out of airplanes and he got charged he and another guy and they got charged in canada because it was illegal you know doing it in some kind of canada and, and uh and uh, uh Fink's always called him mark trail which is the name of a old you know cartoon about an outdoorsman mark trail thinks that somebody one day a few weeks later called and said was looking for Bud. I don't know if it was Sid or what it was. We so was looking for Bud and Finks and says, I don't know where Mike, Mark Trail is. He's probably out dynamiting walleye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after the, after the wolf thing, Bud apologized profusely and everything. But, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, hunting and fishing and all that stuff was just as important to him as football. I think Yeah. yeah. he's, uh, he, he and Birdsey though I mean I wrote about this today but talk about two opposites man one guy you know one guy as I said one guy went north for his recreation the other guy went to Jamaica you know he couldn't wait to get out of here so what uh, I, I yeah it's uh, you know it's funny we we do. You know, we the Star Star Tribune blew it out, and everybody—it's—it's it's this huge thing. But man, that's a long time ago for him to still be around and that prominent. That's thirty-seven years, thirty-eight years ago since he last coached.
2: Yeah, and whether it was—I'm oh.
1: uh,
2: I'm getting a weird echo here. Hopefully, that there we go, it goes oh, okay. away. Um, I think whether whether it was the Vikings or or a combination of Bud or just like the great reporting and stories from you and Sid the the younger generations I feel like and just kind of surveying social media yesterday he's he just stayed top of mind for yeah. three extra generations of of Vikings fans and that's what's yeah. that's what's incredible.
1: Well, it the metronome moving to the metronome in '82. I mean, they didn't ever ever really have a great team in the metronome when he was there, but that really changed the persona, you know, because I mean it was steely-eyed but you know wearing a sweatshirt basically on the sidelines and gazing forward as everyone around him was blowing smoke out of you know from the cold weather and stuff the whole uh, no heaters on the sideline thing and we loved that man in the 70s they uh, that uh, we we're tougher because bud was tougher than everybody Minnesotans, we we as a people were tougher than everybody. That was that was sort of the belief, and uh, you know that that carried over all these years later. And smart guy, you know, smart guy is how that. how what a great way to get yourself back front of mind than walking out there in shirt sleeves mm-hmm. when it's oh yeah twenty twenty five below zero. That was. And he thought of it. He, he It wasn't Bob Hagen telling him to do that or somebody like that. It was it. It was their idea to have him go out for the coin flip. But Bud, Bud was smart enough to know. And I have told Jud this. I probably told you this, Bill. He and I were. You know, I knew him. I'd say a lot to him. But the last eight ten years, I've i you know you you call me, I'll call him. We you know I got to be I would say friendly with him and uh, especially when sid was deteriorating and then and then he'd say hey cabare i gotta talk to you what a if i saw him and then he'd he'd complain about the uh, kneeling down or you know the last he wanted to get the new rule in that you had to make one yard or the clock stopped in the last two minutes and he hated the new kickoffs he hated the fact that he never you never could get kickoff he talked to me about stuff like that but the the thing it is for thirty five years, but I'd say you know, Sid is a reporter, and you guys are just a bunch of writers. You know, Sid is a Sid is out there grinding. He's got eight stories every day. You guys are just a bunch of writers. In the last six seven years, he's been saying to me, you know what I like about you? You're a writer. The other guys are just a bunch of writers. <laughs> 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 That shows what a genius he is. He can he can one eighty it to, to keep you uh, feeling uh, feeling good about him. You know, he was, of course, he was never uh, I, as I said. I don't think he was hostile. Uh, I, I never. I his his post game interviews were not. Uh, you know, he was he never. He never just blurted something out. You know, he always thought about everything he was going to say. He hated the officials, though. Once in a while, once in a while, you'd get him going on the officials. I remember one night in Buffalo. It was a Thursday night in Buffalo. And uh, it might have been, had to be uh, after they were already in the Dome, I think. But it was a game in Buffalo. It was Monday. And Howard was there drunk, I remember, Cosell. So when, when was that? (laughs) <laughs> Howard was still doing a games, but this was a 39 game. Two or three, probably, <clears throat> if it was in the yeah, matri- Howard matri- was, matri- was matri- just <laughs> loaded. I don't know how he did the game beforehand. But I remember after that game, he was – I mean, he was blatant with his hatred, And he always thought Shula ran the, the – the you know, Shula was on the infractions committee. Or that not the – Competition. Competition committee. Yeah. That drove him nuts because he – a self-promoter like Shula, he couldn't stand that guy. He couldn't, and and I don't think he ever gave up. I don't think he ever got over Hank Stram either. Uh, the 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 video, the you know, the '69 thing that Hank floating around like a peacock. After that, he didn't. He he enjoyed kicking his ass in the opener the next year in '70. That's that's for sure. Although. Although in Vikingville, that was revenge for the Super Bowl. Really? a <laughs> regular season game that made up for the Super Bowl? Okay. I got to tell you this, though, guys. You cannot believe what heroes the Vikings were in uh, with the first year cap and then... Uh, you know, they still had the great defense for a few years after that. And then Fran came back. They only went seven and seven then. I'd say through the first three Super Bowls, you know, the, by by mid-75, we were getting a little skeptical here, what's going on. But uh, we've never hanged like it in the Twin Cities. Even when the Twins won a World Series, it was joy. It was happiness. But this was utter adulation. And if you said anything bad about butter really any of the players you were a bad you were a terrible human being it was just it was uh you know it, 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 they just owned this city like nobody's ever owned them. I mean they own them now but you know there's some skepticism now there are no skepticism back then and if you were a skeptic ooh they were people were not happy. Yeah.
2: yeah. It is too bad. We literally start every episode of Purple Daily by saying we, you know, the, it's time for the Vikings to win a Super Bowl here before we die. And I think it, um, you know, Judd and I were texting about it yesterday. That it uh, it became it beca- became a little more real yesterday <laughs> when when the the figurehead, the guy that <laughs> yes. if there's anyone that you wanted to see see that thing happen for,
1: it would have mm-hmm. been
2: it would have been well, Bud.
1: You know what a lot of Bud's look. He could give you the candid controversial quote later his age later. And somebody asked him a couple of years ago uh, was Bud, the four guys that beat you in the Super Bowl. I think they're all in the Hall of Fame, right? Aren't they? Madden, uh, Hank. Shula. Uh, Shula and uh, who, Stram, who we miss? Stram and Stram. Lowe. Yeah. I think they're all in? A, he said, "Yeah, they're all in the Hall of Fame with you." He said, "And yeah, but they all won the Super Bowl." And, and Bud said, "Yes, but they're all dead. I'm still alive." <laughs> 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 how about you? Oh man, I love them. I love. Them. I had it my column today. I was talking to Chad yesterday. How did your How did Chad the, the Bud? You know, how did you and my dad become such good friends? You know, in the in the late forties at the U and he said Sid had a car. <laughs> that's Bud didn't have a car, so he could borrow Sid's car. That's that's how they became big buddies. There was always something in it for Sid, any re- I mean for Bud, any relationship that they ever had. There was there was something in it for Bud. And uh, that you know those you know we almost a child of depression. All those guys that grew up before world war II and with the families that had no money, man, they have a, they, no matter how much money they got in the bank, they still have an appreciation for every five bucks that they spend. And bud was one of those guys was famously used to scoop up all the leftover sandwiches on the, uh, plane and feed him to his after uh, when that charter came back and feed him to his dogs when he got home so, <laughs> <laughs> so that the guys that didn't eat their turkey or bologna sandwiches on the planes back then they butted scarf them up and uh put them in a bag and take him home and feed him to the dogs so amazing and it's a it's a uh it was a different world but uh yeah he was uh he was, uh, he, he really is us. You look at him and that's, that's who we, that's who we want to be. I don't know all if that's right. not Minnesota or not, but that's the, the steely eyed guy on the sidelines. That's who we always wanted to be. Minnesota, we're hardy. Well, I was out shoveling today. I didn't feel hardy at all. I felt pissed off, yep. <laughs> you know, that we have to do it again. Like, okay, I can do it once every 10 days. I don't want to do it three times in four days, you know, <laughs> so shoveling the walk. So, uh, but. But we all want to think we were we wholesome guys and all that stuff but uh no. he's uh he was a uh, interesting guy uh, we you know this isn't a uh, this is uh we might as well throw this out there too uh everybody's talking about getting together with uh you know Sid and Bernsey and now you know some higher power Sid jo- bud was a outspoken agnostic so don't worry don't worry about that bud knows that thursday was bud knows that saturday was it okay he uh you know make up all the stories you want about oh when they meet in the pearly gates uh bud was agnostic so
0: yeah good for him Yeah, that's
1: what he wants to be i i never resent anybody who uh, wants to uh, have that
2: whatever whatever gets life. you through the day whatever one way or the other.
1: through the day that's right
2: yep well, Pat. Thanks, by the way, people. If you haven't checked out the Star Tribune from top to bottom, the sports section, including Pat's column, um, and I saw you uh, you tweet out that uh, it's nice of Bud to have graciously passed in the morning, so you had a full morning, day to, yeah, we had to put, put day together a uh, Sunday paper. It's
1: very nice. Hey, did you see who? Hey, John, did you see who had the big photo on page one? A. Eh? No, who Stormy was? Gre- Stormy Greener. Really? Yeah, they broke it out from back when Stormy did a portrait of it, and the. And the long edited piece they have on Bud, the advance Obit was young bloody. He wrote it in two thousand and three. <laughs> I remember you know <laughs> I mean, have... it's been edited and updated. And uh... I remember Kent
0: Kent actually, at one point back then told me that he was going out to Winter Park to meet Bud in his office because yeah. Bud was very much ok with participating in his own
1: Obit, yes. Well, he said he never told him it was his old obit, but Bud told him, this is for my obit, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bud, you know, he never. And and the same thing happened to me with Sid. And I wrote the advanced obit on Sid early in the 2000s and uh, this long 110-inch thing. And then Phil and... Three years later, the guy told me, I, you know, Glenn Carver said, you got to update that. And then three years later, four years later, you got to update that. And then Three, four years later, you got to update that. And then the last time he told me to update it, I told him to go uh, perform a sexual act on himself. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. He's going to outlive me. I'm not updating the SID obit A posthumous, again.
2: A posthumous byline on an obituary. <laughs> it's it's if you, if been you done, done gone before.
1: For... The Augie, Times once had one, yeah. Augie had a... Uh, po- uh, Calvin, Augie had a... a uh, posthumous uh, byline on Calvin's obit in the St. Paul paper, and I said that's the one thing I don't want. I said if he outlives me, I don't want a byline on the, I don't want a byline on the Sid from obit from staff Thanks.
0: reports.
1: Staff Under ten <laughs> inches. <laughs> staff well, reports.
2: Well, for staff, staff reports is great, but when the when the lead is in the fifteenth paragraph, I think we <laughs> yeah, all know
1: all right. him. Yes, Billy Burke you know, put somebody else's name, make up some name, but I don't want my name on the Sid open if he's still alive, if he outlived me. So amazing. All right. It was uh it was a, uh, it was a kick, man. It was, uh, it was, uh, you know, you always got a smile on your face in the last 15 years when you ran into him because you wondered what was going on. There was always something going on. You just wondered what, what it might be, but he was, he was very hardcore on how they're ruining the game with, uh, kickoff rules and stuff like that. He was, he wanted to change things and keep the excitement and the physicality back in the game. So yeah. anyway, yeah. that's it. Right. Harry, Peter, stuff, Harry, Peter, Harry Peter Budgrant and, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know how many years I called him horseshoe Harry, but I gave that up after a while. <laughs> I, I watched you back when you could, uh, you know, and the, the St. Paul Dispatch had such poor copy editing that uh, you could get anything in. I once said uh, he has a proc, he has a horseshoe, or only his proctologist can find it. <laughs> so, <laughs> That wouldn't make it today. That would not. No, be. no, no. But that's not. a good line. I mean, All right, gentlemen. We right, will uh, we'll see you uh, Monday.
2: Yep, we'll All see right. you uh, tomorrow on Royce Unchained. All right, there he yes, is, Patrick goodbye. Royce. Um, and yeah, go check out if you guys haven't had a chance. I mean, if you can get your hands on an actual, this is one of those times where having the actual physical copy mm-hmm. to save of a newspaper would would benefit. We have a lot of younger, I think there, I, I want to say that I would say a good two-thirds to three-quarters at least of our audience probably didn't live through, and, and, and I'm included in that too, the, the Bud Grant actual coaching days. But yeah. it's amazing how the Vikings are great at it. Bud, with his garage sales and just being, you know, friendly with the media and the the sleeveless twenty seven below zero, you know, walk out to the to the coin flip for that Seahawks game. He just um, he continued to be top of mind forty years after he coached his last game.
0: I think the important thing with Bud too is is this. So Bud was because Bud was first of all extremely successful but second of all uh because he was of the stoic look and the steely blue eyes and the fact that you always felt like bud was in control but i think what happened with bud as well is he's the type of guy that your grandfather or your dad or your mom can tell tell you stories about to kids and i think they're good enough stories that you listen because they're almost you know like fables. So I think Bud had the cachet here that his, that the stories about him were passed down. Mm-hmm. And I think that created, like, if you think about, if you go back and watch the, the games and the league was certainly different then, but if you think about how stoic Bud was, there was something about Bud that was almost like a, like a made up fictional coach character. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what I think his popularity maintained because he wasn't a goofball because He didn't, you know, during his coaching career, you know, when you're talking about a guy who had his players, you know, he didn't allow them to have a heater. And it played in perfectly that they often then played the Rams in big games and this poor group from Los Angeles is freezing their asses off with gloves on and heaters, and the Vikings are like, no. And the other thing about the Met was, so the Viking fan base back then was extremely different. It was not the Moss. You know, Moss changed the dynamic completely. But the Met Stadium fan base was, you know, World War II vets, hardy men. And they loved Bud because Bud was Bud was literally them. Yeah. And, and so that's the thing is what the Met stood for, what the fan base did, which was, you know, older guys in snowmobile suits with a flask that no one touched. And they didn't get super drunk and rowdy. They just got drunk and watched football. And so like Bud played in perfectly, everything about that played in perfectly to make it, to make the stories memorable. And I think that the most important thing, and then in January of 2016, when Bud comes out with the jacket on in minus six uh, temperatures, that's sort of the confirmation to the young crowd of, oh, my grandpa wasn't kidding. This guy is either nuts or the most, you know, manly man of all time. So I think it played out perfectly. Bud was no question in the right place, like yeah, in lo- the right place.
2: I love the way that you and and Royce kind of characterized it in a similar way, and that he was just the he was this figurehead for what Minnesotans wanted to be. Right? You just you just grind through it. The cold weather, the snow, the losses. I mean, everything about being a Minnesota sports fan, whether it's the climate or the disappointment. It all ends horribly. In some form, you're going to get 17 inches of snow, it's going to snow in the middle of March, you're going to get beat in the Super Bowl or in the NFC Championship game and you just keep going forward stoically, right? That's that's the aspiration. And he mm-hmm. was the he was the
0: personification of of that, I guess, as Minnesota sports fans. And the identity too, which Bud which it started with Bud, but it trickled down. So, yes, the Vikings lost four Super Bowls in the 70s. But you know what? And this is us again. In some ways, we still won because we won the battle. We won the battle of cold. We had our thing. You know, the Metrodome, yeah, it was loud. And I I think that we took pride in the the fact that uh, opposing teams couldn't hear, right? But that doesn't make you nearly as cool as, you know what, in December, it's our stadium. And we're going to bring you in here and kick your ass. And that was the feeling. So... I th- I think the whole I think the whole thing was Bud was just the perfect coach at the perfect time in the perfect state.
2: Doesn't it uh you know, the US Bank Stadium is very nice. It's very nice, very comfortable. It's one of the best new stadiums in the NFL Vikings actually among the the, the players association survey were voted as having basically the best organizational framework and facilities and everything. And it's great, but man when when you do think back to the identity and the the hell that opponents had to go through from Los Angeles to come up for a divisional round playoff game or a conference championship game yep you know they don't the organization has become a lot softer it's become they, they they've had some you know Mike Zimmer brought some toughness and they they did get back to playing great defensive football for a couple of years there but ultimately the organization is just a lot it's a lot softer and more finesse because of the Metrodome and U.S. Bank Stadium, right? You're playing. It's the sure. middle of January, and you're playing the, the you're playing the Atlanta Falcons in a climate controlled seventy two degree Teflon dome.
0: Yes, you know. Yes, and w- with the despite the fact that I, I'm an old guy, with the way the game is gone, um, this is preferable, I think, because like you're not going to get a a free agent would probably not sign with you if you played outdoors, like a really good one, um, and with the way that the league has gone in style, you know, you obviously want the passing game to be as viable as possible. But back then, like, Phil, you know, the league was totally different. Like, when, when you you go back and watch games like you were talking about before we started this morning, you know, that's a different animal. I mean, it's totally different. It's not It's not what we know today. It's a league where you played on baseball fields, There were no coils below that ground to heat it. Uh, The hitting was, you know, unbelievable compared to today. There were, in Pittsburgh, there were cars parked on the sideline because I guess they were trying to sell them. You know, you're just talking about a league. I don't want to say it was minor league, but it was certainly nothing like, like it's not transferable and and it's not the same game. Um, But, you know, at that time... Bud was perfect for it. And I will say this, aside from what Patrick talked about with Paige, it feels like when you talk to former players now, they really did love the guy. Like
2: Tommy Kramer, Fran Tarkenton, Carl Eller. Yeah.
0: Yep. And, And when Rashad was here in December for that Miracle at the Met event, you know, I mean, Ahmad was going on and on about how much he loved Bud and how Bud had control. And I think, you know what's funny? I think that what Bud portrayed as a coach was how everybody felt, which from his players down to the fan base, which was because of how he approached it, it always looked like he was in control and had an answer. Mm -hmm. Now he didn't, but, you know, I think that there's something, it's almost like when you're a kid with your parents, you want your parents to look like I'm in control here. Like you don't want your parents being like, "Holy hell, yeah. what's going on here?" And yeah. and so I think Bud conveyed that calmness and that being in control that we that we desire. And I think the players love that, and I know that the fans did.
2: Yeah. Uh, a couple just quick things here before we say goodbye on this on this episode. Just so, a couple of little newsy things and and a shout out to our friends at TCL too. TCL. An official partner of the NFL, one of the world's best-selling consumer electronics brands, they have a new lineup of award-winning TVs delivering the most entertainment with stunning resolution, all at an affordable cost. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. So yeah, Cam Dance. Since the last time we we sat down, Cam danceler was released. We had some, I, so we did a we released a mock draft episode yesterday that we had recorded on Friday. And of course, like the number one pick gets traded, and so if we we. Obviously, that episode was outdated, and we apologized for that yesterday. But, um, uh, And then Cam Dansler got released, and then Bud Grant passed away. So a lot a lot of things have happened here in the last few days. But um, we will talk much more at length, I think, about what that number one pick being traded means, maybe on tomorrow's episode. If any news breaks today that rises, to, if, if there's Harrison Smith news or something, you and I are going to be ready to rock later on tonight for an emergency episode. We're just on standby if needed. But uh, the Cam Dantzler release saves the Vikings about $2.7 million in cap space. So right now, as of this Sunday morning, the Vikings are still $7.4 million over the cap. Technically, they have until Wednesday to get compliant, but there's a lot of things brewing in the background right now. They could easily just restructure Brian O'Neill and get under, but they're going to need to get under and then clear a bunch of room to sign free agents. By clearing out Thielen... And maybe even Harrison Smith at some point here. What they're really doing is clearing as much room as they can clear for 2023. They currently have 120 million dollars cleared for 2024, yeah,
0: yeah, which could help.
2: But it could help you sign players next week. You could you could backload money. You could you could sign an extra player or two. Backload money into 2024, 25. Um. And then, so on dance. I don't know if you had any thoughts on Dantzler, but not a terrible player. He, but the thing is, he had sort of fallen out of favor now with two different coaching staffs at yeah. different times. So just some, some weird red flags there, I guess.
0: Well, and, and it's weird because he basically, he did, he was playing okay, got hurt against the Commanders, and but then late in the season, basically disappeared and, and I want to say didn't play in like the last three games. So, yeah, you know, the 2020 draft is a very intriguing one. Dude, they drafted you got, like fifteen players or something. And Dude. you got Justin Jefferson, who fell to you, but you did take him. Full credit there. Like I, you know, yes, it's some luck, but it's all but you, you also uh pulled the trigger after I believe four other teams had, for who knows why, not taken Justin Jefferson. Um, what hurts though is this. Um Jeff Gladney, who tragically passed, but you, he had been cut by the Vikings. He was the second first-round pick, a cornerback. And then Cam Dantzler was, what, a third-round pick in that same draft. And if I'm not mistaken, right now, uh, they have, I want to say because Patrick Peterson and Duke Shelley are free agents, they have four cornerbacks on, th- on their roster. But But that's where the misses really hurt. I think if you, I think if one of those cornerbacks had been caught to be like, okay, that's unfortunate because it's still a high draft pick. But when it's both of them, that's how you get into a really depleted situation that becomes a problem.
2: It's it's four on the roster on the on the ninety man offseason roster, four like yep. you said. But it's two that actually really have experience playing or starting. It's Andrew Booth Jr. and a Caleb Evans. So a cornerback becomes even more so if there is any question about. Okay, what does Brian Flores think? What do they need? Well, they need they're going to have to probably sign a veteran, draft someone fairly high up. And then this nugget from this morning. So Jeremy Fowler and I think uh, Dan Graziano teamed up for just sort of a pre-free agency. Tomorrow is the legal tampering window. So you're going to start to the next 24, 48 hours. You're going to start to hear even more news. Uh, But this is what was written about the Vikings. The Vikings are open for business. They've released three veteran players thus far, including legacy player Adam Thielen. And multiple teams believe Minnesota has a trade, uh, trade talks centered around Dalvin Cook. The team is attempting to re-sign Cook's backup, Alex Madison. That's a new nugget. Uh-huh. So they are attempting to re-sign Madison, who could be poised for a starting role somewhere. Uh-huh. Maybe that's a window into what they want to do. Say goodbye to Cook. Elevate Alex Madison. Give Ty Chandler a chance. Safety Harrison Smith most likely needs to take a pay cut to remain with the team. He's due 15 million dollars in cash, and the Vikings are in clear scale back mode. So, um, not a lot new there, other than they want Madison back, who's a free agent, and uh, some more trade steam surrounding Dalvin Cook.
0: If if they get that done and Madison comes back, I gotta think Cook is traded, or or just gone. Agreed. Because it doesn't Agreed. make sense. If I'm Madison, I want assurances of playing time now as well. So yeah. it would make no sense for him to come back if Cook was going to still be the uh, guy that got the majority of the snaps at that position. The other thing is, I am guessing, I, I have no uh, firsthand knowledge of this, but with the way that this whole thing has been going with Eric Hendricks um, officially announced last Monday, and then Thielen given his send-off on Friday, both in the morning at the start of the news cycle, I would guess we're going to get a Harrison Smith decision here pretty quickly. Uh, If it's not going to to work. And the last report that we got on the uh, bonus scoop session from Doogie on Friday was it was trending at that time towards a release of Smith. So clearly there's um, there's a a hang up in what the pay cut might be or what he is willing to take. Uh, But I got to think we're going to get news on somebody tomorrow because that's sort of how, how it's gone. The O'Neill one, I'm curious. Are, are they just going to pull the trigger because it's just a it's a restructure that they can do and it's as simple as heck. Yeah. Are they going to pull the trigger on that like tomorrow or Tuesday and just be done? I would imagine it's going to take place at some point.
2: Or they 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 could also just wait. It's a card they have in their pocket. They don't need yeah. Brian O'Neill's permission. I mean, in a perfect world, you wouldn't even need to do it, right? You in a perfect world, you cool. would eat you would eat more of that money early, but and keep That's the books clear about. even more for 2024. So right. But Jordan Hicks, you know, I, I feel like but we should just shut up and post this episode because, like, news moves so fast here. But Jordan Hicks is a guy that you could save $5 million on immediately. So some of these things you wonder, like, are they done but not announced? Right. Are they scared about saying goodbye to both veteran linebackers because they don't know if Asamoah is good and they don't have any depth there? But we will see uh, what happens here. So with that, we will shut up and post this episode and thanks to Patrick Roycey that was so you can hear Patrick if you if you want more stories and just his thoughts on the current and past Minnesota sports landscape the Roycey Unchained podcast feed apple spotify scorenorth.com. uh you guys will do another unchained episode tomorrow he joins the Mackey and Judge show 3 days a week so just awesome stories man no one no one can paint the picture quite like Patrick Absolutely. in uh, situations like these so That's a wrap on this episode of Purple Daily. Daily Vikings Entertainment, and it hits a little closer to home when we say we just want the Vikings to win a Super Bowl before we die. See you guys tomorrow, or maybe even later tonight. We'll see.